the great 16th century reformer, Martin Luther, had a love for trees. He is quoted as saying, if I knew the world would end tomorrow, I would still plant a tree. Ever since I can remember, I've loved trees. I like planting them, tending to them, and watching them grow. As a youngster, I enjoyed climbing them. I remember when I was in fourth grade, we had this tree in our front yard, and wisteria vines would grow up around it. And I climbed up a little bit too high and tried to jump out. And unfortunately, I fell and I broke my wrist. So that was one experience that I always remember. You got to be careful if you do go out and climb trees. But I've loved trees. When I was in sixth grade, we moved into this rental house in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, and there were no trees in the yard. It was just a vacant, I mean, an empty lot with a house on it. So one day, I decided that I would go out into the nearby woods and get some trees. And I dug up some, I don't know, five or six of those little pine saplings, maybe a two or three feet tall, and brought them home and planted them around in the yard in strategic places. And they grew. And it was neat to go back years later when I was driving, go by that house and see those tall pine trees um, pr producing, uh, I mean, providing shade for the yard and beauty. We can change the world when we plant a tree. And I believe that. Trees help make memories. The birch tree and its paper-like bark in front of the house where my mom grew up I had go into the house and pass that tree, and it reminds me of the scrapple that my grandmother would fix us for breakfast. I can smell it now, and I can see that tree. Or jumping in the maple leaves that my dad's mother would rake for us when we visited their house outside of Philadelphia near Thanksgiving. She would rake big piles of leaves, and then my cousins and I, would we would all jump, run and jump in those leaves. It was so fun. And then as a child down south where we lived in South Carolina, visiting the Angel Oak. Some of you might have been there. The Angel Oak is at least four or 500 years old. Some people think it's three times that, but it's an old, sprawling live oak tree. And if you're down in that area, you must see it. It is spectacular. Or swinging on our swing that was held under a long... Um, sturdy branch when Isabella was a baby. The, the house that she came home from the hospital to had a great tree swing. And we would sing and lose time as we would sing and swing. And some of you go out to Carter's Mountain or other orchards here in Virginia to pick apples. And we always do that every fall, thoroughly enjoy it. I probably still owe them some money for all of the apples that I will eat right after I pick them from the tree. There are two significant trees in our backyard here in Midlothian. The first one is a golden red bud. We planted it in memory of Melanie's dad. He died a year ago last Sunday, April 4th. Oh, it, was, it was seven years ago last Sunday, April 4th, 2014. And its purple blossoms and bright golden foliage are the center of our backyard in the spring. 
I hope you can see that picture. It is a beautiful tree. Another tree that we planted was last fall. It's a Japanese maple, and we planted it out in the back part of our yard in memory of my dad after he died of COVID last July. This particular variety buds with golden foliage in the spring, and it turns purple in the fall. Both of these trees are visible as we look out our kitchen window, and we can see both of our dads memorialized in our yard because we planted a tree. And by the way, uh, folks gave us gift cards after our respective dads passed away that we could go to the nursery and buy a tree to plant. So I'm thankful for those who took part in all of this. We really appreciate it. This is just, these planting trees like this are just one way that God gives blessings to us and helps us remember people who are special to us. You might have done something very similar, or you may have stories of trees that really mean a lot to you that are close to your heart. You know, I would love to hear them. And you can uh, send a message to me through our Facebook, or you can email me at the church and, um, or call me, and I would love to hear your story about the significance of trees in your life. Have you ever stopped to think how dependent on trees we are? They take in carbon dioxide and release oxygen into the air that we might breathe clean air. Trees are able to somehow, the way God designed them, to filter out impurities from the air and release oxygen that helps us to live. Trees provide food and shelter to animals, insects, humans. They give us the paper that our Bibles are printed on. And they enable us to have these beautiful wooden pews that were installed when we built the sanctuary back in the mid-80s here at Huguenot Road. They are beautiful pews. And I can go on and on about the wood that is adorning our sanctuary and how it is used in construction and so forth. Trees even provide the, the filtering systems that, that uh, helps clean our water. It's a, often a charcoal-based filtering system. Trees protect the soil from erosion. They provide shade from the hot summer sun and provide the wood that heats many homes during the wintertime. As I do this introductory time, there's a great book that I came across written by Dr. Matthew Sleep. Reforesting Faith is what it's called. He's a medical doctor. He's a Christian, but he's a former atheist. He, used, he did not believe in God until later in his life. And the book that he's written helps us to reflect on the importance of trees as Christian people. He is concerned about the welfare of others and caring for the environment. And creation care is a significant part of his theology. He writes, within the first two chapters of the Bible, life, human agency, respiration, food, aesthetics, human purpose, and a connection to God are all tied to trees. The link between plants and animals isn't just an academic curiosity. It's an inescapable, inescapable fact of life. 
Without humans, he writes, trees would do just fine. But without trees, people will perish. Other than God and people, the Bible mentions trees more than any other living thing. I don't know that I ever realized that until I began this study. There's a tree on the first page of Genesis. In the first account of the creation, God created seed-bearing plants and trees that bear fruit and uh, with seed according to their kind. This was on the third day of creation. Again, as it's reported in chapter 1, which is the first account of creation. There are two in the Bible, the second in chapter 2. Provides a little different detail on the creation. And after God created, God saw what he had created and said, it is good. There's a tree in the first psalm, on the first page of the New Testament, which is Jesus' family tree, and a tree on the last page in Revelation. Every significant theological event in the Bible is marked by a tree, whether the fall of man, the flood, the overthrow of Pharaoh, Every major event in the Bible has a tree, a branch, a seed, or some part of a tree marking that spot. As you read the Bible in your daily quiet times, I encourage you to make note of times when you see one of these kinds of references, and you'll see how important trees are to our theology. Every major, not only every major event, but every major character story in the Bible is associated with the tree as well. Jesus himself said, I am the true vine. Everyone who remains in me and I in them will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then thinking back to Noah and the olive leaf, Abram, Abraham under the oaks of Mamre, Moses in front of the burning bush, Zacchaeus climbing the sycamore fig tree, the disciples gathering in the Mount of Olives, Paul describing the fruit of the Spirit. And then Jesus saying, I am the root of the descendant of David. And of course, Jesus nailed to a dead tree and forced to wear a crown of thorns. Trees mark the creation, the fall, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. And each Sunday during our service, our sermon series, we'll look at some of the major Bible stories that involve trees. Today, we're looking at the trees in paradise, the Garden of Eden, perfect paradise where God placed the first human beings. At the end of Genesis chapter 1, God is speaking to the first family. They are not named until chapter 2, but we understand that is, is Adam and Eve, that first family. And after creating everything, God said to them, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. That's Genesis 1, 29 and 30. Listen to the qualities that God assigned to the trees in this passage and the passage from chapter 2 that I just read a few moments ago. Trees will give energy to everything that has the breath of life that comes from the food they provide. God provided a garden where people could live. 
Trees were pleasing to the eye. They were beautiful, like Pastor Matthew described earlier. The tree of life is a sign of access to God, that people had access to God. And humanity's first job was to take care of and preserve all that God had given them, including the trees. And humanity is given moral agency or responsibility or decision-making authority through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God planted two special trees in the middle of Eden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were able to eat all of them, but they were instructed not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was a boundary there that was off limits. God gave them agency, decision-making authority, the ability to make choices. We do that today. Sometimes we make the wrong choices. And thankfully, God, through his grace on the cross that was afforded by the death of Christ, we can be forgiven and and reconciled with our God. We can have a fresh start. The tree of life, I believe, stands for all that is created by God. And as you read through the creation story in Genesis 1, God called creation good, not a bad thing in it. At the end of each day, God looked over what was created and saw that it was good. And at the end of the sixth day, God saw all that God had made and said it was very good. And the Hebrew is tov ma'od. Tov ma'od, very good. God, who is good through and through, declared that his creation was good. The tree of life, then, we would understand, is a tree of justice, beauty, truth, love, light, and righteousness. While in the garden, Adam and Eve ate freely from the tree of life and other trees that God had planted, we Christians understand that to eat from, to be grafted into, or to take hold of this tree is to take hold of everlasting life. At the very beginning, there was no death. People were to live forever. With our understanding of Christ as the true vine, the one who gives abundant life here and in the next life, we can say by definition that the tree of life stands for Christ, helps us to understand his ministry. The other tree that's planted in the middle of paradise was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And as we know from reading the whole of the Bible, this tree opens the door wide to evil, pride, greed, arrogance, hatred, cruelty, malice, ugliness, callous. And we see so much of that in our world today. To eat of this tree is bad. And we are consciously to avoid this tree. And that is good, to consciously avoid those things that are evil, to seek that which is good, to embrace the tree of life. That's good. It was God's intention for people to experience the fullness of all that was good. Yet, God gave humans agency, the ability to make decisions for themselves. We are not puppets. God established boundaries, therefore, at creation and expected that people, well, that they would live within those boundaries, those limitations. God specifically said that if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would experience death. We know this, looking back 
from the perspective of the whole story in the Bible that this was both a physical death and a spiritual death. And the whole world would become broken and fallen and would need to be redeemed and made whole again. And that is why we understand that God came down in human flesh and dwelt among us and suffered and experienced the fullness of human pain and anguish and callous and cruelty. And then on the third day after he died on the cross, he rose from the grave. And it is through Christ, that abiding relationship with him, that we can be forgiven. It's something interesting that I hope you'll do if you read through chapter 3 in Genesis, by the way. And that is, you remember after they, uh, the first family ate of the tree and their uh, wrongdoing became known, they ran from God and sowed fig leaves and tried to hide themselves. They hid from God and hid their nakedness. But God saw where they were all the time and reached out to them. And then eventually, God provided lambskins for their covering. And it's interesting that even back in this first part of Genesis, this early story in the Bible, that it was God who provided a covering for them. And something had to die in order for that skin to cover them. A lamb had to be slain. And we can see that this foreshadows the death of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was slain for our sins. So there's a whole lot here that I hope you'll pay attention to as you do Bible study in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. This death resulted in the need for a Savior, a righteous branch. And that's what we see in Revelation where Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the first and the last the beginning and the end. Jesus said, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony to the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. So all the way at the end in Revelation, we see a circling back to this tree of life. The scripture says, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take the, three, the free gift of the water of life, let them come. In our brokenness and in our time of need today, there are a few lessons that we can learn from the trees. Trees always seek light, don't they? They're always aspiring to the light. That's why we call a steeple a spire. It ascends up. Trees aspire to the light. We too should be like trees to aspire to be the light of Christ, to live in the light and to be his light. Trees also need water continuously. We too need the water of God's word to sustain us. And you'll see that in another sermon coming up in, from Psalm number one. So trees seek light. They thrive on water and they're fruitful. Jesus said that you would know a tree by its fruit. And I'm constantly asking the question of what kind of fruit do people see in Bob Lee? What kind of fruit am I producing that others out there in the world see? And I pray that God would help me to produce good fruit, not just more fruit, but good fruit. 
For a Christian, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Paul writes this in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Goodness, too. And then trees, well, they live a long, long time, and they help us to think long-term, that as a church, we don't do things just for the day, but that we think long-term. What is God's vision for the future of our church? What kind of people are we to be, called to be, and how are we to live that out in our community? How are we to plant sustaining ministries that can have a lasting impact instead of just something that's here today and gone tomorrow, just the next best thing? God doesn't want us to do that. So God desires that we seek the light and that we are watered continuously through the Word of God, that we bear good fruit and that we think long term. There's a neat story told by Lisa Tresh. She's a blogger and an advocate for refugees in the Tulsa, Oklahoma area. And she tells about an apple tree that she bought to plant in her backyard. And she writes, in the corner of our backyard is an apple tree that we purchased because the tag tied around the branches said that it would bear fruit after two growing seasons. We ignored the fact that its spindly trunk was crooked and that it only had four little branches on which apples could someday grow. But we bought it anyway and we carried it home and planted it back in the corner of our yard. Three growing seasons have passed and visions of apple pies and climbing the apple tree's branches are waning. It is still spindly and crooked. Tresh says, some days I feel like that tree, bent over with the stresses of life, wondering if I will ever bear fruit. I worry that the next stormy wind may break me or that my root system is too shallow. Then she says, I am reminded that I have been purchased and planted in a carefully chosen location, that God tends me during painful growing seasons and prunes me so that I will bear more fruit. I love that story. And she continues, looking at our little apple tree makes me realize what a hopeful gardener God must be. While seeing me and loving me as I am, God also sees what I will one day become. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you will abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Sisters and brothers in Christ, God sees you and loves you just as you are. God has carefully planted you in a specific location. God will also sees what you will one day become. What a wonderful gardener God must be. Amen. Let's pray.